I think that self-mastery is comes down to self-awareness as well. Um, oh, and, and the yoga has, the mindfulness has absolutely contributed to that. But I think practicing awareness is practicing your reaction to things in real time, to things, to people, whether it's in a, a personal or a professional environment. Awareness of that means that you can then be aware of your interactions with people. And to me, that that's also emotional intelligence. I think that's all part of self-mastery is, as well. Welcome to the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Gross, Ironman champion, PhD in women's history, and founder and CEO of Feisty Media. I started this show because I wanted to cut through the BS of diet culture and fitness culture and actually learn from high achieving women at the top of their game who have figured out how to feel and perform their best at every stage of life. So I chat with experts, elite athletes, and leaders who have learned to succeed despite the massive gender data gap in exercise and medical science and product development. Every episode is filled with information, advice, and anecdotes that will help you fulfill your potential as an athlete, mom, leader, or business owner. And listen up. If you don't subscribe to our women's performance newsletter, you are definitely missing out. It's totally free. So head over to womensperformance.com and subscribe now. That's womensperformance.com. This podcast is a production of Feisty Media. Hey, Feisties. Welcome to our 16th episode. I just want to thank everyone who I've heard from over the last couple of weeks. I've, you know who you are. It's not like millions of people. <laughs> if, if I heard from you, I am talking to you about how, how much and why you're enjoying the podcast. That definitely means a lot to me. And I know that like all podcast hosts ask for this, ask for a review on their podcast app, um, in particular on Apple Podcasts. But I know on those apps, there's a reason that we all ask for a review. And that's because that the podcast algorithm works in favor of shows that have more reviews. So if you're so inclined and you would like an easy and free way to support us here at the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast, head on over there and give us a review and definitely give us a, you know, when you, the five stars, what do you call that? <laughs> Whatever that is. Give us however many stars you want to give us and a review though. The written review is everything so that you can support us as we are supporting active women looking to get the best from ourselves. Today's guest is Anika Naidu. Anika is a mindfulness and mindset coach, a life coach, a yoga instructor, and wellness coach for the University of Texas at Austin. Um, she's on a really interesting athletic journey that started from a marathon runner to lifting to yoga and then mindfulness. As usual, I'd prepared a lot of questions, but I really wanted to dig into this mindfulness piece with Anika because we haven't had a sort of a, a yoga expert on the show before, someone who knows about breathing and, and mind-body connection. Uh, so I asked her about how she's developed such a strong mind-body connection, and she told me about how overtraining kind of taught her to be more curious about what she was doing and why. And then we talk about the importance of breathing for awareness and dealing with anxiety, why she does not have a morning routine, 
but she does have an evening routine, which I thought was interesting. How she developed emotional resilience and learned not to judge and just let go. Building muscle can be tough and gains can be so slow, even for those of us who do a lot of strength training. As an ex-endurance athlete who is now in perimenopause, I know this all too well. It can be frustrating to put in the time in the gym and not see the results I'm looking for. That's why it's super important to take the right supplements at the right time. One of those supplements is essential amino acids, which are needed to trigger muscle protein synthesis. Muscle protein synthesis happens when you eat high quality protein, like eggs or whey. And by supplementing with additional essential amino acids, you can make sure you are getting the full benefit of your training sessions. Targeted essential amino acid formulas can be up to four times more effective than just eating protein. I've been taking amino acids for almost a year, and in combination with eating quality protein and a couple other supplements, I have managed to turn the tides on age-related muscle loss, which starts at 30 for women, by the way, and I have continued to make strength gains as I head towards 50. AminoCo has been a longtime sponsor of Feisty Media and has supported all of our brands and podcasts over the years. I recommend starting with AminoCo Perform, and you can grab some at aminoco.com forward slash performance. If you enter the code performance, you will save 30% and receive a free gift if it is your first purchase. Give it a try and let me know how it goes. That's aminoco.com forward slash performance and use the code performance to save 30%. As a lifelong runner and triathlete turned CrossFitter, I am stoked to announce that the athletic eyewear brand Tafosi Optics has joined us as a partner here at Feisty Media. Tafosi sports glasses hit all the marks for athletes. They're shatterproof poly bicarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance, which I 100% need. They stay in place when you are moving. The hydrophilic rubber nose pads actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they are secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in hot conditions. No matter what sport you do, Tafosi has shades for you. Whether you love tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, or just hanging out on the beach. They are super reasonably priced, which I love, so I can have multiple pairs that go with any outfit. And of course, feisty listeners get a special discount. So head on over to tofosioptics.com and use the code FM20. FM as in feisty media to get 20% off your order. That's FM20 at tofosioptics.com. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy for you. Hi, Anika. How are you? I'm great. It's good to be here. Yeah. I'm so glad to have you. So I was on your podcast. How long ago was that now? Two two months, I want to say. Maybe longer. Time's flying. So time is in a weird warp. I agree. It's like we're we're coming out of COVID, but I'm still in the COVID time warp for some reason. <laughs> um, 
So when I, when, you know, when I was on your podcast, I thought I'd really love to have you on our women's performance podcast. So welcome. It's really great to have you. Well, I'm really happy to be here and I love your podcast too. So. Oh, amazing. Yeah. So like f- part of what I want to talk to you about is that like, you seem to have this real connection with like between your mind and your body, the yoga piece, the lifting piece, you're qualified in so many ways. Can you tell us or yeah, tell the audience and myself a bit about your journey in that way? I have to say that it's not always been that way. It very much developed in pieces over Mm -hmm. time. Um, The training, the the lifting definitely came first. Um, And Four years ago, I went to India to qualify as a yoga instructor and just built from there. So I essentially completely changed career four years ago. Mm-hmm. I became a yoga instructor. I then became a life coach and have just kind of continued to add on within that realm in terms of qualifications. But before that, I worked for a number of years in sales and marketing. So totally different. Wow. Okay. I have, I have questions. Okay. So you said, you said the training and lifting came first. What were you training for at that point? So I started with marathons. Um, actually the first thing I did was the three peaks challenge in the UK. I don't know if you've heard of it, but you have 24 hours to climb the three highest peaks. That was the first thing you did? Like not your local 5k? You were just like, no, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an all or nothing person. So, um, you know, it's not like I had never done any exercise before, but I, I wanted, I mean, I guess I was relatively fit, um, grew up in Dubai, lived a very outdoorsy lifestyle, went to boarding school, had to play lots of sports. So it, I had moved and was kind of prone to moving my body, but I wanted something to work towards and that was it. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. And I then decided then to train for the London Marathon the following year. And then um, moved away from the endurance stuff into more strength stuff after that. Right. I forgot about that UAE connection that we have too. My, my mind is like, well, can you see it in various directions? So, <laughs> uh, what stage, what years were you in Dubai? 97 to 2003. Wow. Interesting. And did you, did you do sport while you were there? Like what was the sports culture for women like at that point? Um, I was kind of a child going into my early teens and primarily after school, it was either tennis or swimming. So always outside, um, a little bit of cross country. Um, but yeah, I remember lots of tennis, lots of swimming. I loved swimming. Um, still do, still do. Just don't do as much of it. Right. So, okay. (laughs) So then you took up long distance running, you know, you did the three peaks and some marathon running. And then when did the lifting come in for you? Uh, Soon after that, first I got into kind of group training. So at the time, group exercise in London was blowing up kind of off the back of the, of the craze in the US. So I discovered something called Barry's Bootcamp, which had just opened in London. It's been, it's been in the US since the late 90s, but it didn't come to London until 2013. Um, and so, you know, you've got the cool music, the red lights, the really hot trainers. It's all very fun and high intensity. And I became pretty much hooked on that. 
Um, but one of the instructors at Barry's ended up becoming my strength and conditioning coach because I realized that that kind of training pretty much every day was not sustainable for my body. It started to cause injuries. Um, so I, I started to balance it out with, with more kind of structured strength training. Right. And you still lift, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. What is it that, what do you love about lifting? I mean, the first thing I'll say is that it's given me huge amounts of confidence. Mm. Um, I feel, I feel amazing. I, I love it. It makes me feel great. Um, it's given me great aesthetic changes, but also great um, mental development and resilience as well. It's given me structure. It's given me discipline. Um, all of which translates into everything outside of the gym as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I will say that looking at it from kind of a bigger health perspective, it's taken me time to find my balance. So I have always had quite obsessive tendencies. It's partly why I've done well in things, but I think sometimes our, our strengths can be our downfall if we don't know where to draw the line. And so I, I, I mean, when I was in my late teens, I had a bad eating disorder. I then became kind of obsessed around my training. And it was really when I discovered yoga that I was able to finally find a balance that worked for me, because I think balance looks different for everyone, depending on, you know, what kind of athlete you are, what your goals are, whether you compete, whether you don't, what else you have going on in your life. I don't I don't think there's an ideal balance, but it took me a while to actually find that. So even with the strength training, I would say that for a period I was, I was overtraining for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, it wasn't until I I incorporated the yoga into my life. That's just my personal experience that I found, I found a sense of balance, I think. Yeah. But I think a lot of people, I think a lot of our audience will relate to that because a lot of us come from endurance sport. You know, I certainly do. And I'm wondering, you know, like you said, you feel like you had obsessive tendencies. So how do you know where the line is? Or how did you personally know where the line was between an obsessive tendency and like maybe grit, determination and, and tenacity, which we would value and could serve us? So like what, at what point or how did something happen where you said, no, I need to draw a line of the sand here? Yeah. Oh, God. I reflected a lot on this and it's hard because particularly at the time when I was part of of that particular fitness community in London, going hard was praised. Uh, I felt like I had to leave every training session flawed and exhausted. Um, Partly I had to take a step back because I was injured and I needed to find a way of both recovering and moving without putting too much strain on my body whilst I was recovering from an injury. So that was when I started doing more yoga. But also at the time that I went to India, um, and this is where kind of the different pillars of health come in from my perspective, because I think you've got physical, you've got your physical health, but then when you look at other areas of your life that aren't necessarily going so well, I think it gets to a point where it's like a domino effect where a number of things are just kind of falling by the wayside and you start to question okay why am I actually doing what I'm doing what do I want to do where do I want to be like I started asking myself questions like that so 
Um, yeah, I, I had a couple of bad injuries. I professionally wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And with hindsight, now that I look back, I feel that different areas of my health were not serving me any longer. And it got to that point where I realized, okay, I don't know what the change is, but I need to make some kind of change. So I was kind of, um, I wasn't really motivated by my training anymore. I, I didn't know what I was training for or why I was doing it, which I think, I think that was kind of why I was overtraining just mindlessly. That was part of it. Those kind of innate tendencies were coming out and I didn't know how to manage it because I didn't really have a purpose behind what I was doing. At the time, I didn't know any of this. I just, I just, I just knew that I needed to make some kind of change. I felt a little bit lost professionally. I'd had a really good job, um, and then started working for the family business, which didn't go so great. Working for my dad, I think that can go one of two ways. And for me and my brother, just it wasn't going great. So that wasn't going so well. Um, and I was fortunately in a position where I was able to just go to India for eight weeks and do my teacher training. So at that point, I had been going to yoga regularly because I needed to balance out my training. I was enjoying it. And I thought, well, I can't see myself teaching, but I kind of just want a change of scenery. I want to get away. And because I'm an all or nothing person, I decided to just ship myself off to the middle of nowhere. For eight I was going to say like, that that's a pretty, oh, I would like to become a yoga instructor. Oh, I'll go to India. <laughs> you know, um, how did you even find the right place to go? Um, so it's with a very renowned school called Shivananda. They actually have schools in London, but in London, if I were to do it, it would have had to have been part-time. Uh, and I, I had decided to, to not work for the family business anymore. So I was kind of an in-between stage anyway. And I just thought, I'm going to do an intensive, go to India and just really immerse myself in it. So it was an eight-week living, breathing, doing nothing but yoga situation. Um, and I, I, I'm so glad I did it. It was the best experience of my life, honestly. Right. So what would you say are the main things that you learned coming out of that experience in India? stillness learning how to be quiet actually taking time to think and uh be okay with with sitting with those thoughts um that was where I say I learned how to be curious about what I was thinking rather than just put things in a box <laughs> you know um so lots of reflection lots of thinking um definitely open my eyes to the mindfulness side of yoga so all the things outside of just what you do on the mat ultimately yoga is a way of life um it's a philosophy most of the time was actually spent in lectures learning about yoga philosophy and scripture and um you also live with people for eight weeks that are on the same kind of journey as you. So that's quite special too. Like I made connections and friends that um, I, I still have and I'm still in touch with and they're all over the world. So that's a really special aspect. Um, but also I have to say that while I was there, I was I felt a little bit out of place because a lot of your kind of classic yogis don't look anything like me or train the way that I do. 
Um, most of them you'll find just for the most part do yoga uh, and not not much else so that was also where I decided to think about what I could do with the practice and um, if I were to teach what kind of thing I would teach you know what kinds of people that I would work with based on all of my passions and my strengths and um you know the types of people that I could potentially talk to so that was where yoga that's that was where yoga for the athlete um started to be conceived I guess as well Mm -hmm. and how do you personally how do you incorporate yoga into your day-to-day now as a busy active person yeah um well it's every day um it's incredibly important as a kind of down regulation piece so I I will do it at the same time every day um just because I'm I'm quite a structured person in that sense mm-hmm. um and it's definitely a priority to me so my yoga doesn't on a daily basis look like going upside down and and you know contorting my body into a pretzel as opposed to what most most people think and mm-hmm. um, whilst that that is something that I enjoy and it's definitely a more challenging part of the practice um it's not my daily practice it's a lot of breath work it's a lot of kind of restorative um work that is really important for me to reset the nervous system and it's again what I really do mostly with with athletes as well so um it's a practice that I, I, I use with that I guess relate to me. So people that train a lot, something to complement that training, downregulate, reset the nervous system. What I do with a lot of the people that I work with is what I do myself. So. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. If I, if I wanted to do that, what would I do? Like, how do, how do I do what did you say? <laughs> my, my central nervous system down regulate. Right yeah, down regulate. Well, ultimately, ultimately, yoga is is a tool to find place. Um, and the what we call the asana practice, so the physical practice, is what a lot of people don't know is that that's just one part of yoga. It's it's a tool to find space in the body that ultimately gives you that mental space um, and allows you to find that sense of mindfulness. So it's, it's very kind of slow movement, combining movement with breath, a lot of breath work techniques um, because your breath is so important. It's something that you do tens of thousands of times a day. Luckily science now supports the fact that it, it changes your physiology um, and as a yogi, you know, and, and, and someone that enjoys reading um, lots of scientific studies and, and getting a lot of the fact behind the claims, um, I, I love that, that we have that now to support what yogis have been saying for a long time. Because there, there still remains a large degree of pushback from the strength and conditioning community who continue to kind of dismiss yoga as something that's not really tangible, which I, I get. Um, but to me that to me it is tangible. To me it, it is something that it it has completely changed my my outlook on how 
I train on just everything really just everything it's it kind of helped to open the door to all the other things that I'm doing now including the the health coaching yeah it's no surprise to me that you know the science of breathing is kind of catching up with it feels like one of those things that like people who know and knew for so long you know and it's like well science is finally figuring it out (laughs) you know sometimes the questions that the scientists ask actually come out of personal experiences um and it's like kind of back what do you call it like reverse engineered almost in terms of what we're what we're studying uh, are there there are breathing techniques that you use just in your day-to-day life like do you stand like if you're waiting at the supermarket do you is there something that you do to center yourself or or just driving or whatever you know um there are lots of kind of set methods that people use but I like to look at what state the person is in. So if it's someone that is quite nervous or anxious, um, my husband, for example, suffers with quite bad anxiety, or if it's an athlete that's going into a competition and has like the pre-competition nerves, for example, what you're looking to do in that instance is simply start to bring your awareness to your body. So it's simply an exercise and attentional control. If you say to someone, let's do this complicated breathing exercise, introducing a count and all that, that doesn't help when you're already in a state that is completely the opposite of down-regulated and relaxed. So it's just bringing your attention to your breath, just observing and watching. And that in itself is incredibly effective and impactful. Um, If it's um, before bed, I'd like to do what I call a nervous system reset. So um, focusing, and I do this with athletes as well. So focus, and there's a lots, there's lots of science behind this too. If you check out a book by James Nestor called, um, I forgot the name of the book, but James Nestor, he's a breath expert. He has done so much, much research around this, but looking at um, breath that is focused in your lower abdomen. So I like to talk to my athletes about breathing low and slow. So a lot of um, a lot of kind of fad breath techniques will encourage what I think is over breathing into the chest. Um, but if you can keep your breathing low and slow and you're kind of concentrated in your lower abdomen, that really is conducive to what your body needs um, and induces that sense of relaxation. Um, and then you have all of these breath techniques, a classic one is box breathing. So inhaling for four, exhaling for four, but again, be mindful of not over breathing. You know, a lot of people will do this kind of exaggerated breath into their chest. And I don't think, I don't think that's effective and it's not, that's not actually proven to work. Um, If you can initially work on slowing down your breath and then focus on keeping your breath concentrated in the lower abdomen And ideally nasal breathing, but again, not everyone can just go straight into nasal breath. Again, if they're coming into it from a state of stress or anxiety, they might need to exhale through their mouth initially, and that's okay. Um, Forcing yourself to do nasal breath again isn't going to, if you're forcing something, it's not going to work for relaxation. So Mm -hmm. that's interesting. It's really what you're describing sounds really so simple, like just becoming mindful of your breath or even just where your breath is coming into your chest. I I was doing it as you were (laughs) talking. 
Yeah. Horse, right. Um, something for me lately, because I, you know, I've had a lot of more stress than usual um, in the last few months. And I've been amazed at how some, like some of the simplest things of just becoming mindful of like a couple different people actually said this to me within a week of each other. So I thought, okay, this is obviously what I need to do. Um, just like if I feel stressed, just like reminding my body that it's safe. Right. And it's such like a simple, like the simple, the simplicity of like, just breathe or like remind yourself that your body is safe. Like it doesn't have to be some huge complicated thing. Like I, I think I, you know, because I'm time restricted and I already don't get to work out as much as I want to, like my brain says like, I don't want to make time to like go and do a yoga class with a group and this and that and find the right place and the right Ever. Um, but the, the simple things that you're describing, I absolutely love. Mm. And they are they are so accessible. You know, you can incorporate that into a daily routine without thinking, oh, do I have to sit in lotus position for 45 minutes? Right. <laughs> in nature <laughs> to get the benefits of meditation, you know? Um, it's not that at all. Yeah, interesting. And would you say that you're on kind of a between the endurance sports, the lifting, the yoga, that you're on a journey to self-mastery of some kind? How would you define that? Yeah, for sure. But I I I think that self-mastery is um comes down to self-awareness as well. Um oh and, and the yoga has the mindfulness has absolutely contributed to that. Yeah. Um, but I think practicing awareness is practicing your reaction to things, uh, in real time to things, to people, whether it's in a a personal or a professional environment, um, awareness of that means that you can then be aware of your interactions with people. Um, and to me that that's also emotional intelligence I think that's all part of self-mastery is as well um I also think self-mastery is uh being aware of what your values are um defining what your priorities are knowing day to day what you're doing and doing it with intention um, I think all of that comes into self-mastery too. This, this, this plays into how I coach people because most of what we're doing is essentially reacting to what's going on around us rather than taking a proactive role in our life, which is where the name of my podcast comes from. You know, self-mastery is taking a leading role in your life um, mm-hmm. and understanding that you actually have much more influence than you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, much more influence it's just that we tend to focus on things that we don't have influence over and so we tell ourselves that we're just a slave to what's going on around us which is just not true yeah or we without becoming mindful like our minds are still active right and so then you're not even controlling the direction of where anything's going and if people default to sort of negative thinking of some kind, then that's the way they're going to go. Yes. Yes, exactly. So letting, yeah, exactly. Just letting your kind of thoughts run away from you. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. As another big one. So I think all of those things play into it. Do you have any kind of morning routine or practice that you do to make sure that you're 
in the right place, starting your day, like that your intentions are right. And that you're um, tapping into your own emotional intelligence and some of the things that you just said. You know, a lot of people talk about the morning routine, but I, they do. Yeah, that's why I asked. I, I like to emphasize. I like to emphasize the evening routine more, which is why I, which is why I'm so intentional about my my yoga and down regulation practice in the evening. Because in those hours leading up to bed, if you're not priming yourself for restful sleep, you're going to wake up feeling like trash anyway. So for me, I'm actually quite. I'm quite good at just getting up and going because I, I've set myself up for that. Um, I, I, I believe in the power of the evening routine a lot more than the morning routine. I don't actually have a specific thing that I do in the morning, to be honest, which I think surprises a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I'll say is that I have lots of water. I hold off on drinking caffeine. I used to be someone that rolled out of bed and, and drank coffee and um again after reading lots of science behind it i decided to experiment and wait and i i now am happy to hold off for about 90 minutes before i drink coffee um which has been great i feel that i'm not relying on it as much um but that's really it i'll go outside with my dog for a short walk you know take in the nature maybe do a few deep breaths but um that's really it. Yeah. I like that answer. Cause I do think that we do over-focus sometimes on the morning routine, yeah. but that's a question I get asked a lot. Do you have a morning routine? Like Maybe sometimes, you know, like sometimes I do start very purposefully with like, okay, I need to reset my, like, where am I in the world? What are the things that I want to achieve this year? Or I'm looking at like three years or five years down the road. Like, who do I want to be? And other mornings I'm just like, answering emails, like very like specific day-to-day stuff, you know? I will, I will say that if you are going to be intentional about anything in the morning, try not to let, when you kind of wake up and look at everything that's come in, the emails, the messages, try not to set yourself off with reacting to all of that. If you can set yourself up by being, excuse me, by being proactive in some way and deciding, Mm what you need to respond to, what's actually important, what you can maybe delegate, what you can maybe put on your list for tomorrow um, and and do that in the context of what's actually a priority for you. I think that's hugely important before Mm -hmm. things just snowball Mm -hmm. into a list of tasks that ultimately don't, don't serve your purpose, whatever that purpose is. And some of us have lost what our sense of purpose is. So Totally. I'm totally with you. One of the best things I did in the last few months is actually start turning my phone completely off at night. Mm. And so then I can be intentional about when I turn it on because sometimes I can't, I like, I don't even want to have to access self-control to not check it in the morning. It's just like, it's off. So I get up, you know, I do have coffee in the morning. I do try to drink water and wait a few minutes, but not 90. (laughs) Um, Not yet anyway. (laughs) Um, But then I like, you know, and then I'm like, oh, are there, is there anything I need to do? Like, am I feeling like I'm sort of in the right flow or do I need to do something to bring myself back in? And then depending, you know, it could be 15 minutes, it could be an hour. And then I turn my phone on, right? And that's made a really big difference for me personally. That makes sense. That makes sense. That's a great tip. 
Yeah. And you mentioned, I, I was actually looking through some of your podcast episodes and you had one about emotional resilience. Mm. Um, what does that mean? Um, emotional resilience is very much similar to what we were just talking about in terms of less reacting and more responsibility. So I kind of had a bit of a aha moment when I, I can't remember who it was that I was listening to another podcast host, but it, it was about taking responsibility for your thoughts, feelings, and actions. And I think we grow up having a negative connotation with responsibility. I think we grow up being told, oh, who was responsible for this? Maybe we associate it with blame. I'm not sure what the kind of internal mechanism is there, but there's definitely a negative association with taking responsibility when something isn't going your way, Uh we would rather blame someone else Uh first. And I think a big part of being resilient emotionally is recognizing an emotion. As I said, being curious about it, like, huh, isn't that interesting? Like be a a bit of a detective about why you feel what you feel and, and owning it you know, taking responsibility for it. And actually the irony of that is that it's, it can be very freeing um, to be able to take, because then you can do something with it. You know, you can start to look at why you believe certain things or why you blame certain people for certain things. I've learned a lot about this actually in my relationship with my husband. Um, uh, And because that opens up the door for actual conversations uh, which I don't think, I, I think we've, we've, we've lost the art of that in many ways because of all the technology and social media and. Yeah. Anything. And I think even the way that we like culturally, I think we've lost a bit of um, the ability to say, or there's not, I, I yeah. as a child did not get a strong message culturally or was not taught that like my emotions are my own. You know, if anything, I feel like I absorb this idea that like, if I feel bad about something, if I feel angry or sad, that I'm to look around and figure out what, what is making me angry or sad, right? Or like that right away, it's like that immediate, like, okay, that's the thing that, that's the thing that happened that made me sad, right? Whereas when you can start to observe your emotions, like separately, you can see, oh, you know, maybe the trigger that I thought was there wasn't, you know, or maybe there's a reason why. I responded with anger to this situation um, when I could adjust that later. Or I don't necessarily have to like, I might feel angry, but that doesn't mean I have to like get out my, start yelling, you know, <laughs> or whatever you, you might do. Right? That's so true. Honestly, between, between our parents' lack of just general knowledge about this stuff and the school system and how archaic it is, we really <laughs> weren't given many tools to actually handle real life when you think about it. Mm-hmm. So true. Okay. I love that. I'm, I'm like, I've had a journey with it as well because I, you know, I, I became aware I was, I did counseling for depression when I was 19, 20, I had an amazing counselor. We dealt with a lot of things. Right. And then I felt like I was a more 
emotionally mature people person than most of the people around me that got became my experience. Mm -hmm. Right. But then it like almost got negative where I got like a little bit judgy. I'm like, why do I always have to be the emotional adult? Blah, 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 blah. Right. Like I'm the emotional grown up all the time. But then I realized (laughs) another layer of realization that like, oh no, like that's not like being an emotional adult is like fully my responsibility, like regardless of what other people are doing, like all the time, there's no out for that. Like I can't blame other people <laughs> again for that. So like there's def- I've definitely, like there's been layers um, for me. And I think, yeah, I just look so relating. So it's like to a lot of the things that you're saying with that. That's so interesting. And even with uh, the life coaches that I mentor, we do a lot of exercises in practicing non- non-judgment and Mm. it rises up to the surface all the time just on autopilot. I think it's just become this kind of innate human instinctive reaction to just judge immediately. But if Mm -hmm. you can, again, bring some awareness to that, Mm -hmm. notice when you're doing it and and try and let it go. Um, Mm -hmm. There's definitely a skill to that too. And it takes practice for sure. Yeah. And and another thing I want to ask you about is, have you ever had bad habits that you've changed? I, I hear this from a lot of people like, oh, I shouldn't do this anymore, whatever. And um, yeah, do you have any successful techniques for that? Honestly, my my worst habit just since I was a teenager is being reactive. So, and, and, and I noticed that with my husband and that's when I've really had to change it because it's like, okay, I'm coexisting with this person and it's kind of damaging to our life experience because I, I have a tendency to be quite fiery and reactive to something essentially be a bit of a brat when things aren't going my way. Um, That was a terrible habit that I have that I've really begun to manage only fairly recently, honestly, in the last year, couple of years. Um, And again, that's just an exercise in consistent mindfulness, being aware, getting angry, getting it wrong lots of times, uh, realizing after the event that slowly trying to close the gap between the reaction and what happened. Uh, Also very being very self-critical too is a bad habit of mine. Um, Also having high expectations of those around me. Um, All things that I've worked on, still working on to manage. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Um, Is there anything, any advice you'd like to leave our audience with? how they could maybe bring mindfulness more to their physical training. I think we have a lot of athletes. Hmm. I would ask yourself before a training session, just tap into how you're feeling because very often we're quite set on what we had planned and sometimes it needs to be tweaked and adjusted. Um, based on how you're feeling, whether that's how you're feeling physically or mentally or emotionally, what are the micro stresses you're taking into it from your day? Um, And what you can do physically is actually do some breathing. It actually works. Um, Start to bring some awareness to your body, to your breath. Um, and if you need to adjust what you have planned, then I would say do it. Always think about what's going to serve you ultimately. What's ultimately going to serve your goal? Is it going to be pushing through something or is it more from a place of, you know, liking yourself enough to do what 
what actually serves your goal. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Liking yourself enough, because isn't that where it, everything starts? Like you have to love yourself. You have to love what you're doing, but it starts with loving yourself because then you'll end up in the right place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Anika, thank you so much. Um, I've, I've become more calm <laughs> over the course oh. of our interview. So <laughs> but, thank you for having me. Uh, where can we find you? Uh, so on Instagram, I am the mindfulness coach underscore. All right. Well, thanks so much. Thank you. As we head into summer, rest and recovery are critical for improving sports performance, reducing stress, and living a long and healthy life. We should all invest in better sleep. So think about the thing you lay your head on for eight hours a night. If it's not exactly right for you, it can lead to needless tossing and turning, or worse, have you waking up with an unrelenting kink in your neck. My new Lagoon pillow has helped me improve my sleep immensely by pairing me with the performance pillow that has everything I need. So I personally was matched with the Otter pillow, shout out to Team Otter, which I love because it has a gentle cooling effect. And I was able to choose how much stuffing I wanted in it, which is super important to me because I'm doing a decent amount of CrossFit these days and my shoulders are kind of creaky. So having a pillow that is stuffed just to the right height keeps my neck and head in exactly the right position and comfortable for the entire night. And as of fall 2023, Lagoon launched their 100% Mulberry Silk pillowcases. It's cool to the touch, buttery soft, and great for your skin and hair. You've got to go check out this pillowcase if you want to feel great and look great every morning. Waking up for morning workouts has never felt better. I'm refreshed and pain-free thanks to my Lagoon pillow. To check it out for yourself, go to lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance and take the two-minute sleep quiz to find your perfect pillow match and then use the code PERFORMANCE for 15% off your first purchase. That's code PERFORMANCE at lagoonsleep.com forward slash performance, whole 15% off, and the link is in the show notes. You can just click through there. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are so excited to be working with Hedas. Hedas designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedas unlocks the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research, creates better shoes for women that support their longevity and performance, and establishes new design standards to promote transparency in a male biased industry. Hedas have a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and to allow for female toe shape, a special kind of plate in the midsole to keep tired legs going, 
A narrow heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take the pressure off our Achilles, and a rounded instep to create a snug fit. Hedes has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've personally been running in the Alma Cruise and I love them. It's the shoe I always wanted and never knew I needed. The fit is perfect in every way. You can get your own pair of Hedas at Hedas.com and use the code FEISTY20 for 20% off. That's FEISTY20 at Hedas.com and it will all be in the show notes. Endurance sports should be accessible to everyone, right? That's why we are so excited to be partnering with Motive. Motive is one of the fastest growing training apps in the world today with thousands of amateur athletes signing up every month and a nearly perfect 4.9 star rating in the app store. You are not a template and your training plan should not be either. Prepare for running races, triathlons, cycling events, duathlons, or swim runs, however your season schedule shapes up, and get training written by some of the best coaches in the world in each discipline who know what it takes to help amateur athletes reach their goal on race day. The app takes the training written by those experts and then creates the most optimal training plan for your schedule, abilities, and goals. Plus, the training is fully customized to your race schedule, how much you can train each week, your current abilities, and the goals you want to achieve in your race. You can use the app for free as long as you want, or get all the upgraded features from the app for just $19.99 a month. But as a feisty listener, you can sign up at mymotive.com and use the code FEISTY for two months of full premium access. That's right, you get two months of premium for free. So you quite literally have nothing to lose. So head over to mymotive.com, M-Y-M-O-T-T-I-V.com and use the code FEISTY, F-E-I-S-T-Y. And on a personal note, I know the founder of Motive and he is driven to make triathlon and all endurance sports more accessible for the athletes who care about their performance, but who aren't quite ready for a full-time personal coach. If that sounds like you, definitely try the app for two months for free. You literally have nothing to lose.